0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Hello and welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar coming to you live from the Chagas studio in Carlow. My name is Mark Gibson, and over the next hour, we'll be discussing how farmers can reduce their greenhouse gas emissions from chemical nitrogen. But before we go any further, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to introduce my studio panel, uh, Dr. Deirdre Hennessy, Senior Research Officer in Chagask Moor Park, specialising in grassland and clover incorporation. And we're also de- joined by Dr. Seamus Kearney, who is a Training and Development Specialist with Chagask's, the Chagas Signpost Programme. Deirdre and Seamus, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Mark. So to get us uh, started, uh, Seamus is going to (coughs) take some practical steps farmers can take to reduce their nitrogen use and at the same time reduce their emissions. Please send us your questions using the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen and we'll put these to our panel throughout the show. Today's show is being recorded and will be available on the Chagas website in the coming days. We'll now hand over to Seamus for his presentation.
1: Good morning and welcome. Uh, This morning I want to look at uh, where Irish agricultural emissions come from, uh, why nitrous oxide emissions are so important in the context of Irish agriculture and more importantly, thirdly, how can we as an industry reduce our nitrous oxide emissions? So we're going to start first of all by looking at the Irish agricultural emissions and where they come from and you can see from the pie chart there, uh, the blue part of the chart, about 57.5% of our emissions come from intermic fermentation. Uh, about 10% from how we store and how we spread our manure. Uh, So some of that is nitrous oxide, some of it is methane. The green part is how we use our fertilizers and when we use them and also some emissions from soils, so that's our nitrous oxide part. And there's about another 5% there made up between lime uh, and fuel usage and uh, urea uh, application as well. Um, So really when we look at it overall in the context, uh, we're looking at about 65 or two-thirds of our emissions are coming from methane. But the reason we're looking at nitrous oxide this morning is 30% of our overall emissions are coming from nitrous oxide. Um, And I suppose the other thing to bear in mind with nitrous oxide uh, is uh, it's the most potent of all the agricultural uh, greenhouse gases. uh, 268 times more potent than carbon dioxide. So 30% of our emissions coming from nitrous oxide. And that's why we need to try and reduce our nitrous oxide emissions to hence reduce our greenhouse gas emissions from Irish agriculture. And how do we go about reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and our nitrous oxide emissions? I suppose first of all this morning I want to look at five different pathways. So number one we need to look at liming. Number two, we need to look at improving our P and K, hence that we can reduce the amount of nitrogen, chemical nitrogen we're using. We need to retain more of the nitrogen in our slurries. We need to grow our own nitrogen in clover. And whatever nitrogen we r- use after that, we need to change the more environmentally uh, form of fertilizer in the form of protected urea. So, first of all, we need to, to, to look at liming here. And if we look at liming, some work from our, our colleagues in, in Johnstown Castle, uh, where they took an example of uh, soil at 5.5 pH. And by spreading five tonne of lime per hectare on that soil, they managed to lift the P levels on that soil by over five parts per million, two indexes in total. But as well as that, by getting naturally occurring phosphorus out of the ground, there was also the added benefit that that soil also released naturally occurring nitrogen up to 80 kilos of nitrogen per hectare per year. So the big message here is, by getting the lime of the pH right first of all, we're releasing more naturally occurring phosphorus and more importantly nitrogen from the ground. Hence, we can cut back on our chemical nitrogen applications. Secondly, by building P and K levels. It helps to get more use of the nitrogen we sprayed on our farms. So if we look at it here first of all, looking at the graph, uh, I suppose the first point is, if we have very low P, uh, H, P and K, uh, we're getting very low utilisation out of our nitrogen. If we move to the next point, by getting the lime right, we're getting better utilisation. By improving the lime, And the P levels, we're improving our utilisation better by improving the P and K, we're improving it further again. And really the optimum is getting the lime P and K. So that's lime over 6.2 for grassland, 6.5 for clover, uh, and index 3s and 4s for P and K, uh, especially index 3 for productive farms. And by doing that, we're improving the amount of nitrogen that we can retain from the nitrogen we spread and hence reduce the overall amount of chemical nitrogen we need to spread on our farms. Thirdly, we need to retain more of the nitrogen from our slurry, again to cut back on the amount of chemical nitrogen we're using at farm level. So if we look at it here, first of all, we have a splash plate, uh, and this is kind of common over a decade ago on all farms, all slurry was spread by splash plate. And by going spreading with a splash plate in the summer, we're only retaining about 3 units of nitrogen per thousand gallons. Because we're losing a lot of it to volatilisation and to the sun actually uh, reducing the amount of utilisation we're getting from our slurries. So by moving the splash plate to the springtime, we're doubling the amount of nitrogen we're retaining in our slurry. But really, the ultimate and, and the gold standard is to move our slurries from a splash plate in the summer to moving it in the spring and ultimately trying to get our slurry spread by low emission slurry spreading. And by doing that, we're re- tripling the recovery of the nitrogen in that slurry. So by tripling the nitrogen we recover in the slurry, we're able to cut down on our chemical nitrogen that we use. Fourthly, we need to grow our own nitrogen, and by doing this, by getting our clover right on farms, so by getting the lime P and K right, we can incorporate clover into our farms, and this is just some work showing the amount of clover in swards. This was work done by colleagues in Chagas Park, where they were spreading 150 kilos nitrogen per hectare per year, and you can see starting off at the start of the year that the clover levels are low. Once we hit April and weather starts warming up, the clover starts to take off and replace chemical nitrogen on these farms. And by getting the clover right on farms, we can replace up to 100 to 120 kilos of nitrogen per hectare per year, again cutting down on the amount of chemical nitrogen we're using. But it's important that the the clover ground is grazed tight in its first year to leave sun down to the the base of the plant, and also that we need to get more than 20% clover to really get the nitrogen benefits from these clover swords. The fifth way we can try and reduce the nitrous oxide emissions is by moving our fertilizer to more environmentally friendly fertilizers. And if we look at it here from the graph, CAN is the most, um, the most nitrous oxide of all our fertilizers. And if we compare it versus urea or protected urea, which are 70% lower in the amount of nitrous oxide emissions that they give off compared to CAN. So I suppose really we need to move away from urea as well because there's ammonia in urea. We have a national ceiling for ammonia which we've been in breach of for the last while. So really the big message here is we need to replace urea with protected urea to reduce ammonia and we need to replace our can with protected urea to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And if we look at uh, can and protected urea uh, every 5 uh, tonne of can is the same as 3 tonne of protected urea. So the same amount of nitrogen, physical nitrogen in each of the scenarios, but by moving from can to protected urea, uh, so from 5 tonne of can to 3 tonne of protected urea, at current prices we can save farmers €1,000 for every 5 tonne of can to move to 3 tonne of protected urea, and by moving every 5 tonne of can to 3 tonne of protected urea, uh, we can save the equivalent of emissions of almost a dairy cow, 0.9 of a dairy cow, or 1.5 suckler cows. So really our summary from this morning, what we're trying to say is we need to reduce our chemical nitrogen first of all by getting our soil pH right, by getting our P and K levels right, by recovering more nitrogen in our slurry, by spreading it in the spring with low emissions, by growing our own nitrogen through clover. And any further nitrogen we use after that, we need to start moving from can to protected urea type products. And really if we look at it here, uh, reducing our chemical energy by 25% uh, can give a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions on intensively stocked farms by in the region of 4 or 5% in greenhouse gas emissions. Where if we move from 100% canned to 100% protected urea, we can deliver reductions of between 7 and 8% in greenhouse gas emission reduction at farm level. So thank you very much for your attention and we'll now take any questions in the Q&A.
0: Thanks Seamus for that presentation, a really compelling case for that shift from uh, urea to protected urea. Just a reminder to use the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen if you'd like to ask us any questions and uh, the session is being recorded so Seamus thanks for joining us back here uh, on the panel. Thank you very Um, much Mark. And um, Seamus just to start out I mean what in your view, are, is is the greatest has the greatest effect in reducing greenhouse gases emissions on farms, Is it changing from can to protected urea, or reducing fertiliser use uh, from f- by twenty percent on farms? Yeah,
1: excellent question, Mark. And look, I suppose the, the big one is supposed to reduce our emissions. We haven't any big silver bullet, but I suppose protected urea is the closest thing we have, as I'd say, to a bronze bullet, the biggest technology we have to reduce emissions. So really, Mark, I suppose the big, the big shift you want to make first of all is to move from can to urea and also from urea to urea to reduce their ammonia. But by moving from can to deplectic urea, you're really bringing your, your nitrous oxide emissions down by, uh, by d- down to about a quarter of what they would be. So that is definitely a starting point. After that did Mark, We work on trying to reduce
0: the overall amount of nitrogen we use it at, at farm level. And you mentioned in your presentation, uh, you know, lime, phosphorus, potash and, and clover as, as ways of reducing the chemical nitrogen. Could, could you place these in I- items in, in order of importance? Yeah, uh, the, f- the
1: first building block mark is lime. Okay? If we look at grassland soils in Ireland, about 50% of the productive soils in Ireland now are low in lime. So that's the first thing, first of all, to release ni- the nitrogen and the phosphorus, as we we're talking. Then the second part after that is to get the P and the k levels right. Uh, By getting those right, we get better use of our nitrogen, and we can cut down our chemical nitrogen use. And really, then, when all those are in place, you can start putting in your clover in at that stage, because clover needs over 6.5 pH. uh, It needs index 3 for P, index 3 for K. So then the clover comes in as the third part of that step, Mm -hmm. and that's when you start fixing nitrogen, uh, or really start growing your own nitrogen to reduce your overall chemical nitrogen.
0: Dear Jeff, I could turn to you. Uh, you know the government has set uh, fairly ambitious tar- targets to reduce the amount of chemical nitrogen u- being used by farmers. What can farmers do now to to prepare prepare for this low nitrogen future?
2: Yeah, so you know they can start to put in place the the, the things that James has mentioned. Again, reiterating uh, lime, um, P and K, getting that right, but then start working on getting that clover in, and using good grassland management measuring grass that's on their farm, using information like predicted grass growth, putting all that suite of information together, then they can make real decisions around reducing chemical fertilizer. So if you know what you're growing, you know what you need to feed your cows, then you can make the decision if there's an opportunity to reduce chemical fertilizer use. So Clover will automatically give you Uh, um, a really good opportunity through fixation but if if you're managing your grass and you know your demand your feed supply and so on even in a grass-only system or part of the farm you can make that decision about reducing chemical fertilizer use and there's big opportunities in the summer so you know if you think about it Mark every little helps so every little bit that's caught at every rotation you know that all sums up at the end of the year.
0: And is clover a solution for every farm uh, soil type?
2: Probably not. Realistically, uh, Mark. So, uh, as Shema said, you know it likes a uh, good soil pH over six point five. Some of our soils, you know, that you won't get to that. Particularly, our more peaty soils. Clover doesn't like its feet being wet. If you want to put it that way, it doesn't like sitting in very wet soils. <laughs> so, it will struggle in some of those soils. But you know, there, there's there's most of our soil types will have. We'll be able to have some level of clover and look, we can break our farms down, you know, soil type in most farms is not identical in every single paddock. So there are probably areas of the farm that it can be incorporated in. And I suppose that's really the farmer, him or herself knows what part of their farm that they can put clover in uh, or the part of their farm that it's more likely to to work well in. So, you know, there's lots of information out there, but also the farmer needs their own information around their soil type, their fertility status, the type of sward they have on their farms. And indeed, their their demand for nitrogen on their farms, because obviously lower stocking rates, you've less demand for grass. um, So, you know, maybe there's less of a role in, in some of those scenarios. Having said that, on very low stocking rates, stocking rate farmers where you don't need a lot of nitrogen going out adding clover into the sward just managing the grass a mm-hmm. little bit increases the feed quality so for example it can increase your growth rate or your life weight gain mm-hmm for example. So there's big roles for clover going forward.
0: Seamus, dear, To mention soil fertility. What can farmers be doing now to, to, to start preparing for having having good soil fertility to for, for, for clover and indeed having uh, even mo- some of the, the multi-species wards in, in place? Yeah, I suppose
1: the, for, the first point mark is soil samples. Uh, take soil samples, number one, and have the soil samples. Number two, take the soil samples out of the drawer, make them live, even mark the paddocks that are, are, are good or bad for, for is Lime P or K, so at least you know uh, what you need to build up on those, those paddocks in at that stage. So side samples, first of all, getting the P and K right, having a fertiliser plan, a nutrient management plan, so you know where you need to target the nutrients. And you'll see that in a minute with Edwin. Uh, like his farm is uh, way ahead of the national average with Lime P and K, uh, and, and that's one of the big foundations that Edwin has in his farm in order to reduce his chemical
0: nitrogen, but also to improve the clover that he's growing on the farm bin as well at the same time. Just finally, in relation to slurry, uh, there is great nitrogen value in slurry, we know that, uh, so which is more important, is a spreading slurry in the springtime or using the, the low emission slurry spreading techniques?
1: Yeah, well I suppose w- we've gone from zero to about 36% of our slurry now spreading low emission at this stage. So not everyone is spreading with low emission. So the, the, fu- the first step is to get the slurry out early in the year. So ideally March, April, uh, just before the 1st of May. Uh, that way you're retaining more nitrogen. Then if you can make the next step and putting it out with low emission, you're going that really the goal standard of spreading slurry at that stage. Uh, and like basically two and a half thousand gallons of slurry in the spring with a low emission, replacing about 25 units of nitrogen uh, that's really your application for the first round uh, so definitely moving to the spring first of all then getting it out with low emissions
0: where at all possible okay great well we're going to come back to those questions and more and do keep your questions coming into us uh, we see lots coming through uh, but next we're going to go live uh, to the farm of edwin thompson in golden county tipperary but before we do that we had the opportunity to catch up with edwin a few weeks ago
3: My name is Edwin Thompson. I'm farming here in Golden County, Tipperary. I'm currently milking 158 cows on a milking platform of 140 acres. We also rear the heifers here on the farm. It's a family-run farm, um, so I'm farming here with my parents and with one labour unit employed full-time as well. I'm married to my wife, Diane, We've three kids who are also interested in farming and they give a hand when they can. We were always interested in the environment on this farm. As you can see in the background, there's lots of trees, lots of hedges. When this opportunity came up to join the signpost program, I felt it was a good fit for me and a good fit for this farm. I'm keen on the clover, and I like the sustainability aspect, where where farming can survive on its own without depending on too much use of chemicals. The first thing we did was we made a conscious effort to purchase protected urea. With the use of the protected urea, I. I don't see any obvious reduction in grass growth. So I'm very happy that the the parts of the farm that require the nitrogen, it's working very well. Also, we've invested in a slurry spreading system called, uh, with a dribble bar, which is L-E-S-S, which is the less slurry spreading, which is um, very beneficial to to the farming system here and to the dairy farming because we can spread our slurry and we can graze it again quite quickly. We've currently reseeded 35 acres of, of, of the grazing platform here. We, on these clover paddocks, these got no nitrogen since the middle of May. But at the same time, we are watching the peas and the K's. So it got a, a half a bag of 0730 during the summer. It also gets dairy washings and the lime is correct. The benefits are massive. Um, not only do I have cash in my pocket, but these paddocks, we don't have to spread them every, every time the cows graze them. So I'm saving on labor, I'm helping the environment, and I'm growing the grass.
0: Now We now join Shane O'Hanlon, Chagas signpost advisor, and Edwin Thompson, his dairy farmer in Golden, County Tipperary. Good morning, Shane and Edwin. How are you today? Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Mark.
4: Yes, Mark, so I'm joined here with Edwin Thompson, um, a dairy signpost farmer um, in Golden County Tipperary. And behind us, you can see Edwin's cows are actually grazing a receded paddock with grass and clover that was receded this year. Um, so I suppose just to start off, Edwin, in your experience, um, what are two easy wins that farmers can adapt to, to
3: reduce emissions on their farm? Um, well, Shane, the first uh, and obvious one is the, the protected urea. We made a conscious effort um, on this farm the last couple of years to spread only protected urea and it's working very well, like I said on the video before. So protected urea is saving save me a little bit of money and it's saving um, the, the environment as well. Um, it, with the protected urea then we, we changed um, to 18612s, which gives us um, a bit more control of the P's and K's that we spread throughout the year. And it's also, the 18612 fertilizer is also quite beneficial to the um, environment. Um, in con- in comparison to um, the old pastor's word or the cutsword, so that's the, that's the first thing we did Shane.
4: And I suppose in relation to the Jury Edwin you made the conscious decision just to try it yourself um, so you obviously tried with a small amount gained the confidence to progress that
3: and obviously you bought more and have been getting on very well with it since. Yeah I think in 2020 I, I bought a couple of tons of it and tried it and I I saw it worked very well. In 2021, we, I think it was nearly all protected urea, I can't quite remember now, but um, it worked very well again, and again this year, 2022, it's been all protected urea, um, but that that goes with the P's, with the 18612, you know, so the protected urea is just the nitrogen end of it, um, the P's and K's then we look at, we, we're using the, um, the 18612. And is there any other um, practice? In- well, the, the, the the dribble bar, of course, on the on the on the vacuum tanker has. Um, I see huge benefits to, to to the amount of grass grown compared to the old splash plate, where we're plastering the grass in slurry. <clears throat> the dribble bar just puts the slurry out in a nice little line, <coughs> and um, excuse me, in a nice line, and it's much um, much nicer for the cows then to come along, and a couple weeks later they can graze it. There's no tainting of the grass and the grass has access to light and, and, and can grow much more effectively. So the dribble bar is a, big, is a big help as well.
4: And we just saw in your introductory video there, Edwin, that you have a, a lot of clover on this farm. And I suppose that has allowed you to reduce your nitrogen substantially, hasn't it?
3: Yeah. Um. Two years ago, I, I reseeded 18 acres and I did another 18 acres this year. So there's about 35 acres reseeded now to date. Um, and in the, those reseeds, we, we, we targeted the, the timing of the reseed was in the springtime. To allow the clover to grow, um, so we put we um, we made sure that we had clover in the in the reseed, and um, so those paddocks get no nitrogen, um, no chemical nitrogen spread on them f- from um, from May from May onwards. So, <clears throat> but it's important to say that you maintain a constant P and K levels in yes, those paddocks. Yeah, absolutely. They they regularly get um, dairy washings. They also got a top up of um, um, 0730 during the summer. Um, they got slurry in the springtime, and in fact, one of them um, got a little bit of extra lime this year because it, it, it had it had the, the soil was all short. It was a little bit low, so I gave it another bit of lime this year again, even after the reseed last year. So it's um, these paddocks are well looked after. Um, the the peas are good, the K's are good, the lime is correct, um, and the clover is supplying the nitrogen.
4: <clears throat> so I suppose just to put that into context, Mark. Um, from Edwin switching from traditional fertilisers such as can. Caught in pasture wire to protect the urea. That has saved his total fertilizer bill at current prices by 6,000 6, euro. And to put that into context, it is worth 40 euro a cow to him, as well as decreasing his overall emissions on the farm by 4%. And I suppose, <coughs> on top of that, Edwin mentioned he reduced nitrogen substantially due to clover on the farm. So he has reduced his nitrogen by 38%, which again equates to about 7,000 euro in a saving. To put that back into context in cow terms, that's worth 50 euro a cow. So, those two actions, as well as an extra um, percent to decrease his overall emissions on his farm, so it has a massive saving financially, as well as decreasing his emissions over a quick, quick over a year, really. You could say, Edwin,
3: isn't it? It's a year, or a year and a half, I suppose. Shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat>
0: And Edwin, if I could ask you, just you know, you're you're well on the journey to implementing these various sustainability measures on your farm. I mean, is this adding a lot to your workload, or is this integrating with your existing system?
3: No, Mark. It it, it integrates very um, easily with with the existing system. There's no there's no massive investment to buying um, protected urea. All you do is ring up the co-op and, and, and order it. it. It spreads the same as your traditional fertilizer. So, in that sense, it's 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 no problem. Um, and then there's a little bit less spreading involved. You know, with the clover, we don't need to spread as often. So I, I'm sort of noticing now this year particularly that um, we used to always go out once a week with the fertilizer spreader and top up the paddocks um, that had been grazed in the previous few days, but probably only go out now maybe twice every three weeks, you know, with the fertilizer spreader, just to, those clover paddocks don't need topping up as regularly. So it's, it's, um, it's very beneficial.
0: So you're, you're cutting down on your diesel at the same time, which is always good news. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the um, Tell me, Edwin, how important is lime in the system you're operating there? Well, I've spread
3: a lot of lime over the years and it's it's really coming to fruit, to um, fruition now and, and as the lads have, uh, have explained, the, the lime has to be correct for the clover to survive. Um, I suppose hi- historically here we were in the old rep system, we had to spread a lot of lime and then I continued spreading that. Um, I do regular soil analysis so every every three years, and anything that needs lime gets it, gets two tonne of lime. And um, I'll be doing a bit more again now this autumn.
4: <clears throat> and I suppose just on that, Mark, coupled with the lime, um, Edwin, there's a major focus on soil fertility on the farm. Edwin, so I suppose you're using low emission, you're getting good value from your slurry. You got your slurry analysed this spring, which is a great way to determine what you have exactly in your tank. And you can, I suppose, have a plan tailored based on what you have. So that's what you do, Edwin, and that's yeah. We got slurry.
3: We got slurry analysed, like you said, Shane, and that gave us great information on where to put the best, our our strongest slurry, where to put it, and um, the more dilute slurry was suitable then on the grazing paddocks, um, and that kind of thing. Also, we, we sat down at the start of the year too. We, we came up with a plan for the fertilizer, which was a great. Shane came along, and, and my 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 um, tip crop advisor, Andrew O'Neill, came along. We sat down in the kitchen. We came up with a plan, and we. We we purchased as much um, phosphate as we could that my allowance allowed, so we, 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 we forward bought 18612 um, to maximise our, our, our phosphate allowance and that was used then during the year and it, once we had a plan in place it was very easy to implement it.
0: Very good. Uh, Shane, can, if I can ask you, I mean, you're, you're working with a number of different signpost uh, farmers in, in the region. What what has been the general response to the programme and, and the, uh, the measures that are being rolled out on farms across the, the region?
4: Yeah, that's correct, Mark. So um, currently I'm working with three um, signpost farmers in the Tip to Prairie region. Um, so I suppose, it's, as Edwin said, it's getting the basics right. And it's come, it's, I suppose at the start of the year, it's drawing up a plan. And trying to follow that plan as best you can um so again i suppose it's the easy wins as Seamus said it's in adopting protected urea it's it's not a big um investment in relation to labor or in infrastructure it's just a case of going to your co-op and putting in that order and starting from there and i suppose as Edwin has explained he started i suppose with a small bit and has progressed and has seen nothing but advantages from it so i suppose that's what we're on the signpost programme, trying to encourage and supporting farmers and trying to adopt those new um, practices.
0: Excellent. And uh, maybe if we could ask uh, Edwin, I mean, since you joined the programme, the, the measures you've implemented, are you seeing uh, immediate effects, uh, be it on the, the, the sword or, or your pocket?
3: Yeah, the, 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 for me, Mark, the, the big thing was to get the clover up going. So we did a lot of reseeding, like we've said. And um, once you get your reseed established and graze it regularly, and, 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 and um, there's no more nitrogen spread on that particular paddock for the rest of the year. So you know, and and, and that's a big saving. You know, there's 18 acres last year, 18 acres again this year. So we have 30, 30 odd acres there um, with no chemical nitrogen since May. So you know, it's very beneficial.
0: Okay. Thanks Thanks, uh, sh- um, Edwin and uh, Shane. We're going to just broaden the discussion here to include our, our panel here in, in studio as well and uh, we have some questions coming in as well for, for you uh, uh, Edwin and, and Shane. But uh, Deirdre if I could turn to you there's a question coming in relation to the, uh, the bloat issue that can sometimes be associated with clover establishment. Are, are there any concerns that we should have around that?
2: Yeah, Mark. So, like, bloat is a is a concern in cl- in clover systems. I suppose it's probably a bigger concern, you know, in the in the scenario that Edwin is in, where he he's you know uh, converting the farm, we'll call it, to a clover system. So, you know, he's moving between clover and no clover paddocks, and I suppose it's a bit more of an increased risk there. So, I suppose first you think about bloat is what what is bloat? Bloat. So it's a build up of froth basically in the rumen and a buildup up that traps the gases that the cow is normally belching out um, and that causes the bloat mm. but you know there's lots of things we can do that are relatively straightforward uh, in terms of minimizing the the, uh, the risk of bloat so you know uh, things like watching post grazing sward heights that means you know your cows aren't being underfed they're not going to be hungry going into a clover paddock they're not going to gorge on the clover so the clover cows do show a preference when they go into the paddock to to graze the clover first it's very low dry matter there isn't a lot of fiber in it um, and that's what results in that f- in that froth building up in the rumen keep some fiber into the cow so it could be a bit of concentrate um if if you're in kind of a perfect storm situation where you have like wet or weather or low dry matter material that the cows are eating so at the moment Dry matters are fairly low in in pastures. We've had a good bit of rain, um, but swards are quite lush uh, still, so dry matter is relatively low. Uh, So the things you need to do in that kind of scenario is make sure the cows are not underfed or not hungry going into the paddock. So don't be grazing too tight, as in don't be going below four centimetres. If you are, that means the cows haven't enough in their rumen basically going into the new break. Uh, You can give them a smaller break for a couple hours, put up a strip wire and after two or three hours move that. But by doing that, you're forcing them to eat the grass as well as the clover, so they're getting some fibre into the rumen. This time of the year, there's probably a bit of concentrate going in as well, make sure that's available. Um, and then, you know, once once they have some fibre in the rumen, uh, you can take down that strip wire and they can work away grazing on the paddock for the rest of the day and they'll be fine. You can use bloat oil as well if if, if, if there's a fear or a risk of uh, uh, of bloat, put some bloat oil in the water uh, the day before and while they're in the paddock this is a little bit in the rumen because having oil in the rumen mm-hmm. helps to um, break down that break down that foam.
0: And for a farmer it, it sounds it, you need to be informed before you make that decision to I- yeah. in, increase the amount of clover in your swards. How, how should farmers go about uh, you know, educating themselves on that?
2: Yeah, so we actually have some guidelines on the Chagos website. Um, just a few steps around bloat management. Um, we have a little booklet that we published earlier in the year, and there's a there's a there's a section on that again, in bloat management. But talk to your advisor. Talk to um, you know other farmers who have good experience with clover. And I suppose it's just a little bit about being aware. Um, Yes, clove uh, bloat is a potential risk, but you know, in, in a well-managed system, it's not a significant a significant risk. Mm. You know, if a farmer's watching his post-grazing sward heights, he's making sure his cows are well-fed and that there's some fibre in the diet, um, it's easy to manage.
1: So this time of year, Deirdre, when, when farmers are trying to stretch grass, they'd be probably putting in a bit of silage. Yeah. There's, there's, there's probably maybe three or four kilos of meal going in. Yeah. That would be a help. What big, saying, big help. Put up, is. put up two fences one, what they're going to eat for that 12-hour period, but give them a smaller break for the first couple of hours just to make them eat the grass with the clover, to try and dilute the amount of clover they can take yeah, in at any w- one time. Yeah, yeah
2: if you're uh, worried. But if, the, if they're eating silage and a bit of concentrate, there's, there's going to be fibre in the room. And,
1: and would you let the cows go out at their, their own pace in the paddock or leave them out the herd together? Uh, would that matter?
2: I would say, Seamus, uh, yeah, it's better to leave them out together because you know if you're leaving them out, line by or row by row, you know the, the cows that hit the paddock first, they're going to have the choice of what's there and they're going to have more opportunity to to select the clover. Okay, so, so leave them out, out, out together. the one time. Yeah.
0: There's a question, Edwin, in from our audience there uh, in relation to uh, slur- spread spreading of slurry and what what in your context or there in Tipperary, those early spreading of slurry, uh, what time timing of the, the year would you be getting out with your slurry?
3: Um, well, I think I'm allowed to spread it from the, about the 15th of January, but I try to hold it as long as I can. Um, in 2022, the this past spring gone, it was about the middle of February, the 15th of February, I think, around about then, I got in um, my local contractor and we had a few paddocks grazed. And um, he came in with the umbilical system, and we spread a few paddocks that had been grazed, and he spread a few paddocks that had low covers on them. And then I got him back again about a month after that, um, in about the middle of Patrick's Day, I can't quite remember, but we spread some again with the umbilical, and he, he he put out about a hundred thousand gallons each time, which which um, was a great labour-saving tool for me. But it 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 is, um, and he was using the um, dribble bar on, on his 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 umbilical, so it it, it worked very well.
1: So, Edward, would it be fair to say you can kind of look at it as a resource that you want to manage and get the best value you can get out of it, that you have enough slurry storage?
3: Oh, definitely, Seamus. Um, and the cost of fertilizer now, uh, slurry is a very very valuable resource on the farm and um, we, we target, we look at our soil ana- analysis and we target um, paddocks that need it the most and, and we, we try and put the most suitable slurry on those paddocks, if possible, you know.
1: Okay. And silage ground as well, obviously.
3: In my size ground down the road, so it was more difficult to get it out there on the springtime. But we put slurry on the side ground after the second cut this year. So um to try and just boost the um the P and K levels on that land, which is which is probably my lowest um P and K like like all sides ground or sorry, my lowest P and K levels. But it got two and a half thousand gallons of the slurry there in August uh, early August after the second cut silage was taken. And getting P
1: and K fertilizer in as well?
3: It gets it got um yes, it got it got um four and a half bags of eighteen six twelve in the first cut which supplied about 80 units nitrogen and then whatever for the p and k and um i think it got about three and a half bags for the second cut very good Eighteen
0: six twelve. we have a question in uh from our audience um i think deirdre is probably one for you just it's in relation to red clover uh, and more red clover than white clover in the diet will that increase the fiber in the diet overall
2: yeah, so red clover is a, a bit more fibrous, just simply by the way it grows and its growth structure. It has more of a stem than uh, white clover. But the problem with red clover, uh, from a grazing point of view, is it's not very persistent. The growing point is higher in the sward, and it's more likely to be grazed by the plant, so it won't persist for it won't persist as long as white clover in the sward. Well, yes, it has a. It would have a higher fibre content, so
1: more silage orientated deer.
2: Absolutely, Seamus. Yeah, yeah. and it, and you know, look, we just need to look at our organic uh, um, colleagues, our organic farmers. You know, they use that as their main protein source in for their winter feed. So, ver- mm. it is very good feed. Getting up to uh, three crops
0: of silage off it during yeah. the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I wonder, is, is there any experience, Shane? Is there any experience of uh, red clover being sown in, in your, your region? There is, Mark, um, but I suppose a lot of
4: farmers are like Edwin, they're trying to uh, get, get their soil fertility right and trying to manage, we'll say, white clover and the swards. but definitely red clover has become more popular, and I know Edwin, just from talking to him, he's maybe going to try it next year in an out block, as Deirdre said, a kind of a silage block, just to see how, how that goes. Um, so yeah, I know there has been good uptake, no, in fairness.
1: Yeah, maybe a question to Edwin there. Edwin, lime, do you have a specific time of year or is it all year round, or when do you spread lime?
3: Um, no, whenever it suits Seamus, um it, it can be difficult to get an opportunity. So um, I did a bit in the springtime. It just happened to get a pad of graze and it suited, so I got a bit done in the springtime. And I have a bit in mind now to do this autumn, but it, um, hopefully it won't get to it. It needs to be done in the next couple of weeks. Um no, so, timing the t- time of the year wouldn't matter, famous. If, if if it suits, I'll try and do it, yeah.
1: Okay, so you, you no specific time. I suppose the one thing there, Mark, like credit the farmers, like we hit a 40-year high in lime last year. 1.35 million tons yeah. so and it looks like we could even probably go higher again this year mm-hmm. the government are bringing in a, a subsidy there's, sorry in the budget there's 8 or 9 million there for lime as well mm-hmm. so really it's, th- it's it's the starting yeah. block for the any foundation is getting out there.
0: For, for any farm uh, very much so yeah absolutely so that yeah that soil fertility uh, is, is so important as your your foundation for for, for getting good crop um, <laughs> with some questions in relation to uh, multi-species sward steartra um, but one in particular around are there any species that could be incorporated or accompanying the clover to reduce the risk of of, um, of, of bloat uh, in cows? Is that something that has been looked at or are you aware of?
2: We haven't really done any work on that, uh, Mark, but we, you know, uh, in multi species wards. Because you have a mix you'll have more you'll have'll have more fiber in the in the sward, so it's likely that your your risk of bloat is going to be reduced so something like plantain or chicory mm. which which have they're they're very uh, digestible um they're likely to help reduce and of course if you have those in the sward you know you probably have slightly less clover because plant space competition and so on now mm. the issue with some of the herbs is persistence, persistence yeah. From our experiences, plantain looks like it's relatively persistent. We only have a few years' work done on that yet. Um, chicory, less so. Um, probably the trampling and so on from, from the cows um, make it less persistent. Gleam- seems to do okay under cutting type scenarios, which would be, you know, a lot of the knowledge on multi species swards is coming, say, from Europe and so on, but a lot of that's. The work has been done under cutting, rather than grazing. You know, so Chagas are yeah. doing a lot of work now with grazing herbs. Yeah. Uh, but there are other benefits to having herbs in the in the in the sward, um, are, are for having multi-species swards around. Perhaps growth during drought periods. Um, there's some evidence from New Zealand that um, plantain may help with reducing nitrate leaching and capturing nitrogen over the winter um, because it's more active in terms of growth over the winter. Uh, So look, there's lots of interesting and potentially beneficial um, benefits of multi-species, but I suppose we need to know a little bit more about how they persist in particular in our grazing systems. Mm.
0: Just a question for you Seamus there, coming in around compound uh, fertilizers. It's great to see there were such reductions in in application Uh, if Emissions reductions need to increase more over the next 10 years. Will it be necessary and possible to stop? chemical nitrogen application altogether? I mean, is that something that we foresee? Um yeah, look, uh, I suppose Deirdre mentioned uh, some of our, our
1: colleagues in organics that they do get away without uh, chemical nitrogen, but I suppose it's all about uh, matching the what you can grow on your farm mm-hmm. to, uh, to time the demand that you have then as well, Mark so back to stocking rate. Uh, and I suppose that's the other thing Technology as well, like farmers. I suppose we have a target of cutting back 20% mark by 2030. Mm. Uh, and it looks like up to the, in the June this year, the first three quarters of the fertiliser year, which starts in October, uh, the nitrogen use our nitrogen sold in Ireland was back 19%. Right. Now, so we're, we're pretty much where we need to be. But the worrying thing is we're back 30% in P and K. Mm-hmm. And like for some farmers that are low inside fertility, maybe a bag of of 18612 might give them the same amount of grass grown as a bag of cut mm-hmm. or pasture sward, because mm-hmm. you're getting no more P and K uh, automatically by going with the with the bag. And that's so that's the thing, what Edwin is doing with 18612, he's concentrating the, the the P and K into a, a shorter amount of spreading periods and he's opening up more opportunity. That's the other big one as well to go straight nitrogen in the form of protected urea. Mm-hmm. So he's going the lower emitting, 18612 as a compound, mm-hmm. as he said, lower than cotton pasture's ward, and he's going for the lower emitting, the protected urea then as well, mm-hmm. uh, versus can. And like what he's doing there is saving them 90 euro a cow. Like for the average farmer, that's nine or 10,000 euro in the year mm-hmm. for very little extra kind of work we're talking about.
0: Excellent, okay, so no doubt price has had a, a huge impact on that uh, usage over the last number of years as well. Um just, just finally, Shane, if I could ask a question coming through there uh, about uh, uh, the farm there. Could could uh, K soil levels be an issue on Edwin's farm going forward while he relies on 18612? It's low in K for silage uh, with only a small amount of slurry going out. Would 0730 be a better option? Well, uh, I suppose, Edwin,
4: you're, you're kind of focusing your... Your P and K application early in the year, and on silage ground, you're you're obviously taking your first cut off that, so you have off take off the ground. In relation to the grazing ground, you're grazing continuously, and you're not over applying too much P and K. Like you're soil sampling regularly as well, so that that would be a good way of monitoring it. Um, I I don't think it's an issue on this farm, Edwin.
3: We'll we'll, we'll pop it another soil analysis, maybe not this year, but uh, in spring twenty twenty three, or. Uh, Start so 2024, so we'll see. Um, just keep an eye on it, I suppose. That's all we can do, I suppose. Maintain um, yeah. it, then, yeah. yeah, that's
1: yeah. What I suppose I don't mark, Like Edwin is using a bit of a small bit of 0730 as well. There on, on some ground that needs it, and for some farmers, like I suppose, like really, tree fertilizers would really do for most grassland farms. So you go 18612 to get your pee out. You're getting the P in the six part. Uh, you go with your um, predicted urea of your straight nitrogen. So you're getting your nitrogen out that way. And if you need to top up, then mark on some of the other paddocks with uh, K. You have 50% muriate potash, uh, which would get out your K on those paddocks that need an extra bit of K as well. So like a DD dose fertilisers, they're the cheapest form that you can put together of fertilisers, mm-hmm. and they're the lowest emitting compounds or sorry combination
0: that we can come up with as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, positive uh, remarks coming in here about the, the work that's happening out on uh, Edwin's farm and, and this Chaga signpost programme. Just a, 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 some, some more technical questions here. question around experience uh, that we have of using beans uh, or other protein crops as a break crop to, to bring up the soil fertility. Is there any experience that we have on, on that? Do you have any here, John?
2: yeah uh limited enough um but having said that beans and peas and so on they're legumes so they you know they i suppose operate in a similar manner to clover in that they can fix nitrogen um and, w- and we know from research elsewhere that uh if you if you if you have legumes like beans and peas the residues that are there afterwards increase your soil nitrogen certainly for the for the next crop so I suppose they fit quite well in a, in a tillage type scenario, mm-hmm. um, probably a little bit more challenging in a grassland system where you're not rotating in with a crop. Uh, but yes, l- like overall, they do fix nitrogen and they increase the, the, the residual nitrogen that's there or the organic nitrogen that's in the soil that can be released through mineralization for the subsequent crop.
0: OK, very good. Uh, Seamus, uh, some questions coming in about the treatment of slurry, there's various different options and products out on the market there, Uh, do any of these products, uh, have you seen any of them that hold ammonia and condition the soil? do, do we have any yeah. research to, to, to support the, 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 the claims that are being made with some of these products?
1: Yeah, I suppose there, there is research ongoing, Mark, with our colleagues in, in Johnson Castle at the minute, uh, to see can they reduce the greenhouse gas emissions and ammonia emissions. Uh, that's kind of early stage work at the minute. There's also some biological um, additives that some farmers use, and they seem to work that they, they uh, make the slurry a bit more dilute, it's easier to agitate definitely from, from some of those ones as well, but there is some work ongoing at the minute, Mark, with our colleagues in Johnson Castle, which will be coming on stream in the next uh, year or, or 24 months. Mm-hmm.
0: Just in terms of the availability of uh, some of the you know um, protected urea, I know there were some issues mentioned uh, in the last 12 months. What's what's the situation like there at the moment?
1: Yeah, very much. Uh, look, I suppose as a part of the signpost programme, we were very conscious pushing protected urea last year if it wasn't available, uh, but uh, we, we have gone, uh, we're, we're we're at about 16% at the end of June mark for all our straight nitrogens used as protected urea. We we'll probably rattle about 20% this year. Uh, as well as that, um, between the, the, the ordinary urea, we're at about uh, almost 30% of our straight nitrogens as well used. So we can protecting our ordinary urea and at our current rates of, of protected urea, we're nearly 50% of our straight nitrogens protected urea then at that stage. But the availability, uh, definitely this year, there was fertiliser brought in early in the year. And as the fertiliser was restocked by a lot of the merchants, Mark, there was a lot more protected urea coming in. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a lot more availability. And we know from farmers they are looking for a lot more now at this stage. Mm. And definitely the question is coming back, Mark, as what protected protected mm. uh, is. it's how long does it, does it last in the bag and the, the dates that, the, that it's actually in the bag at this stage. So farmers are are, are trusting the science. They're, they're finding it works very well on farm. And they're moving on to so the next one now is how far can they actually bring the product um, bef- before... Um, it goes beyond th- 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 the shelf life, and I suppose that's the other thing just to mention as well. Protective urea, it kind of has uh, six month uh, kind of shelf life as such. Mm-hmm. So what happens after the six months is the inhibitor on the urea uh, can actually maybe break down, and the product just works the very same as urea. So okay. if someone has it over the winter and they're worried whether it's stored or not, just use that product as the first couple of rounds next year. It'll work the very same as as ordinary urea or mm-hmm. as protective urea is best, and uh, they will they will get it to work to grow the grass that
0: they need to grow. But it's, I suppose to get the value is really I suppose it's important to to get it spread within that window, really, because otherwise uh, you're you're, you're uh, I absolutely you're spending Mark, yeah, extra yeah, yeah, the extra on and the protection
1: and, 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 the, and the big advantage of urea, it, it can, you can use it any time throughout the year, so it works the very same as can, and it'll work at the shoulders of the year the very same as urea, but it's lower on ammonia and it's also low on
0: greenhouse gas emissions. That's the big big win, the win win for farmers. And Edwin, you were saying to me earlier that you know you haven't noticed any difference really between the protected urea and and your previous uh, fertilisers that you were using. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct, Mark. I, I honestly can't say that um, I see any reduction in grass growth from changing to protected urea. So, very good. Okay.
0: And, and, Edwin, and I suppose maybe...
4: just just on that, Mark. Um, so Edwin, in fairness, is measuring grass um, and is on pasture base and. We monitor grass growth this year compared to last year, and I suppose using protected urea and reducing his nitrogen has seen no significant um, decrease in grass growing this year compared to 21. Um, It's back about 0.8 of a tonne, but we're putting that down to drought, which, which I think is fair to say we can assume.
0: We have a question here. Of what about grass growth and fodder production at Edwin's farm? Have grass growth levels maintained within the, with the change of fertiliser application? I think you've more or less answered that question. I think uh, that, that that is something that you haven't you have uh, you haven't seen a the, the, the massive impact on. Um, let me have a look here. So we have just a question in relation to um, advice for farmers, Seamus, regarding fertiliser use for 2023. Any 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 general recommendations there?
1: Yeah, great to get the opportunity, Mark. Look, any farmers, look at what fertiliser for 2023 to If you're looking for value money, first of all, you, you go with 18.612 to get out your, your peas and case. You go with protected urea to get out your nitrogen, and if you need a little extra cade in the top up after that, of potash. Hmm. And the beauty is those combinations. And are we, are we talking about all farms or dairy specifically? All, all farms mark across the board. And, and like especially heavily stocked farms. Like w- we're seeing it with a lot of our, our signpost farms. The 40 euro Shane mentioned there about changing fertilizer type. We're finding that 40 to 50 euro per cow saving across the board on a lot of our... More heavily stocked signpost farms. So it's a huge saving. Like on the average on the average farm, switching fertilizer type alone is about five thousand euro. And I know Edwin who when, when we did the calculation with yourself, I suppose unfortunately you don't get the fourteen thousand handed to you in a in a in a in a briefcase or anything. But like when we did a calculation with yourself in the last couple of days, Edwin, you, you would feel that your fertilizer bill didn't go up as much maybe as you thought it was going to go up this year, with with the combination you used, that'd be fair to say.
3: Definitely, Shane. Or, or sorry, uh, Seamus. Definitely. You know, at the start of the year, we were worried about f- big fertilizer bills coming in. But um, for me, with the with the changes we made there, we, we came in pleasantly um, under under the target. You know, so it was it was it was it was great. Yeah.
0: We have a a question uh, Deirdre in relation to the uh, incorporation of clover maybe in an existing sward, and when is the best time to stitch in clover if you don't want to do a complete reseed and Mm. what's the best method?
2: Really good question Mark. The best time to stitch in is in April so as early as you can in the year Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it, it works very well most of the time there'll be the odd time it won't work and you might have to go again uh, and that's okay a little bit uh, a little bit of Perseverance or stubbornness, you know, so The best way to put it in if you can is so uh, so f- to have good conditions First make sure soil fertility is right. Make sure your sward is a uh, good perennial ryegrass sward So why that's important is if you've an old bushy sward like an old permanent pasture your clover seed is tiny It's like the full stop on a page mark, mm-hmm. you know, you need mm-hmm. to get the seed to touch the soil, so uh, good perennial ryegrass, low weed content, good soil fertility, graze off really tight, like down to three and a half centimetres if you can absolutely clean out that paddock and then go in with if you can with some kind of a drill like a 9 bock or a gutler or something like that so that you're getting that seed to soil contact. Mm-hmm. But really importantly then after you've put it in is how you manage the sward afterwards because mm-hmm. you'll get the seed to germinate but you know you you do have to do a little bit of work to get it to establish. So uh, Edwin mentioned earlier, you know, about looking after that ground for the rest of the year. So reduce your 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 chemical nitrogen fertilizer or cut it out if you can for one or two rounds or for the rest of the year if if that suits your system and you've enough grass growing elsewhere uh, so reduce that nitrogen just to give the clover the chance you know to capture the light because I suppose it's important to know that the grass will take up the chemical nitrogen faster than the clover so what will happen is you'll get shading out of just the clover smothering. yeah and then the other thing is don't leave a heavy cover build up so go back in uh, you know at around a thousand kilos and graze it out tight so it's all about getting light down to that little emerging clover plant to help it establish so i suppose like what edwin's doing is is you know is really good approach in terms of incorporating clover um by reseeding or over is not doing the whole farm together now that's not practical anyway but you know if you do big big proportions of the farm which over for example all together very difficult to, you know, push special management on a big area. Mm-hmm. Much easier to do that on a, a smaller area, 10-15% of the farm, because you do have to do that little bit of preferential grazing management, which is basically, you know, you skip in and out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. So you might be going back to that, you know, every 16 days or so, mm-hmm. instead of waiting your 20, 20 So be prepared days. to jump in and out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and just keeping the cover low uh, would really help that clover.
1: And the point, the we're talking about reducing chemical nitrogen or cutting it out, and it's important that we keep putting out the P and the K. Absolutely. On, on the, so it's the whole fertiliser mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the nitrogen we're cutting, yep. but we're keeping the P, P and K, K out there all the and time. And
2: look, if you have dairy washing super, we, we see uh, clover swords, even established ones, you know, uh, s- respond really well to, you know, that little bit of boost that comes from, from your dairy washings.
1: Yeah. Do uh, I ask Edwin a question there? Because a lot of grass mixes, Edwin, have maybe half kilo to a kilo per acre. In them, uh, I suppose the recommendation would be to go to two kilos of clover per acre. Like, what kind of rates of clover do you incorporate in your scenario?
3: Um, I just think, same if we put out a kilo now, I'd have to check that, but um, I don't think we went with a two kilo rate now, we just went with a kilo.
1: And you got um, a good take even with the kilo?
3: I got a great take, yeah. Particularly last year, I got a seriously good take, yeah. Um, this year doesn't look quite as good, but it's early days yet, it's only it's only been grazed four, maybe four times. You know it's... But you were saying, Edwin, this year that paddock
4: behind us has receded, and you said you noticed that the clover really performed well this year, even in the drought.
3: Yeah, the, the clover certainly this year was a, was such a dry year, and it certainly seemed to perf- perform better than the the paddocks that had no clover getting nitrogen. You know, the clover, the clover paddocks. We call them the clover paddocks. Seem to be um, growing much better in a in a in a. Particularly when the drought got severe, I, I noticed the clover was sort of getting me out of trouble a lot. A lot of the time, it when I came back to graze them, you know.
0: Excellent point. Yes, um, we have question here about some farmers being afraid that clover might take over some paddocks. Is this an issue, or has have, have, have Deirdre or or, or uh, Shane or Edwin have you come across any uh, that that is an issue?
2: Not really, realistically, Mark. So, uh, Seamus showed in his presentation, the, the, I suppose, the growth curve or the contribution to the sward of clover across the year. So, you know, this time of year, you're going to have high clover contents in your sward. So, 50, you know, I've heard of even 60 percent in the last few weeks. But like across the year, you're still only going to have about 20 percent average. <coughs> uh, for most farmers, the issue will be actually... Getting and maintaining that 20% average rather than clover taking over. And I suppose, look, a rule of thumb if it looks like there's 100% clover in the paddock, it's probably about 50%. Have it. Yeah. Remember the clover plant is different, you know, the leaves are more upright, they're bigger, they take up a big area than the grass, the grass grows up more, so you Mm. will see it being more dominant. But, you know, realistically, Mark, uh, that's not a major concern. And, you know, um, I suppose one little bit of advice, if there are paddocks that you think have a lot of clover in them right now, maybe graze them a bit later in the last last rotation. Yeah, Yeah. so you're, you're taking off that cover. And getting um, the light down. And getting the light well. down. Yeah. So you're giving the ryegrass loads of opportunity for tillering. So it's just a little bit of playing around with the management. A lot of clover graze it later in, in the last rotation.
0: Okay, thank you very much for that we 're coming to the close of our session now. I just want to say a big thank you to Edwin in particular for uh, an early start this morning. I know you, you had uh, in preparation for this morning 's uh, link, uh, but uh, thank you so much for allowing us to onto your farm and uh, shane uh, also thanks for 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 your help in organizing. Uh, this this uh, this interview uh, to our panel here in studio, uh, Seamus carney and Deirdre Hendessey. Thank you so much for your your participation. Uh, we're now going to hear how you can be uh, the winner of 250 euros if you tune in. Keep stay tuned in to us now for a moment.
3: Chagas are delighted to announce the Signpost Photo Competition. Don't delay capture photos of the action you are taking on your farm to reduce emissions and submit them to the signpost program to be in with a chance to win 250 euros. Some of the relevant actions include liming, applying P and K to tillage crops, dosing and vaccinating, weighing animals, milk recording, extending the grazing season, checking your board BF farmer feedback report, checking your NP for lime or K needed and soil sampling. The closing date is the 14th of November. To apply, go to www.chagas.e backslash Don't delay, enter
5: today.
0: Okay, now we're going to go back to County Tipperary where we're joined by Dr. Siobhan Kavanagh, who is Communications and Engagement Specialist with the Signpost Farm team, sorry, program team. Uh, Siobhan, you have an action packed week uh, for us uh, next week as part of Sustainability Week. Can you tell us more about what's happening during the week?
5: Okay. Good morning, Marka. Mark. So the, the team for Signpost Sustainability Week is farming for a better future, and we all know that there is an urgency on the adoption of a lot of the technologies that are available to us right now to reduce our emissions, in particular. So the focus for the week is on identifying those simple actions that farmers can take over the next 12 months to help improve sustainability on their farm. So the main themes are around reducing greenhouse gases, enhancing biodiversity, improving water quality and and soil health. So we will have key messages coming out in each of those areas through the week. And what we want farmers to do is to identify a couple of simple actions that they can adopt on their farm over the next short while. In terms of events then, so we have a series of in-person and online events Through the week so our in-person events are four farm walks there's one in washford limerick galway and offaly and we would be encouraging farmers to attend those events to see what the signpost farmers are doing to improve the sustainability on their farm across those major areas but also to maintain profitability and output um in terms of the, the online events there's two events of significance in particular next week one is the, the launch of the national farm survey sustainability report which will happen on monday afternoon and there's a webinar on that and then on friday the signpost demonstration farm Um, sustainability results will be issued as well so it's the first year for for us to issue sustainability results for these farmers and it's setting out the baseline year for those so aside from that then there's two other things happening we're launching a sustainable fertilizer training program that's available for rural professionals and I suppose that is one of our key starting points is to reduce our emissions from nitrogen so that's a really important course and that's in conjunction with Chagas Connected and ICOS And then Declan has just mentioned there the the photo competition that
0: we're also running next week. Great. And where can people find out more about what's happening next week?
5: OK, well, the the website, we have a page dedicated to it on our own Chagas website and that's at www.chagas.ie forward slash signpost. And there's a specific page in there that all the details for all the events and the activities and the messaging that we'll do throughout the week. And then obviously keep an eye on our social media pages on Chagas Daily. And then in the local media we will have articles on that in the local papers. And also there'll be some local radio interviews as well. So keep an eye on all the channels that we will put out information to, to our clients and to, to the rural, rural professionals also.
0: That's great, Siobhan. Thank you so much. And it sounds like there's something there for everybody next week.
5: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark.
0: And that's all we have time for today. My thanks to our speakers and our entire production team. Next week we'll be joined by Professor uh, Frank O'Mara, Director of Chagisk, and Dr. Tom O'Dwyer, who's Head of the Signpost Programme, and they'll be talking about uh, launching the new Signpost Sustainability uh, Reports. So, from all the team, we want to say have a good weekend and thanks for watching. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost Series